Good morning, Father. We love you, Jesus. We come together this morning, Father God, to celebrate life, to celebrate freedom, to celebrate your true love, Father God, for us, the only true love that we can receive, Father God. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful, Father God, that you reveal yourself to all of us in this room, Father God. We give you thank you, Father God, for your mercy, for your grace, for your forgiveness. My Lord, we, we give this time to do to you, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes and ears to hear to hear directly from you, God. Lord Jesus, I pray with all my heart, Lord, that that we will truly surrender our life to you, God, that we will truly do exactly what you call us to do, my Lord. We thank you, Father God, for this time. We worship you, God. We love you. Take control of us, Holy Spirit, and use us to advance your kingdom. So, Lord Jesus, wherever we are in our walk with you, God, this morning we say yes, Lord. We say yes to you, God. Help us to do exactly what you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let your love run over 
as we hold to this assurance, Spirit
for that truth. Your name above all names. God, that you have defeated sin and death. That in Christ we have the victory. We thank you, Father, that your word declares that you have given us everything we need to live a godly life. I pray, God, today that we will not only be hearers of the word, but that, God, that as we go forth from this place today, God, that we would be doers of the word. That, God, that we would be effective laborers in your harvest. For, Father, we may be a small bunch, but, God, you've worked through smaller numbers to accomplish your purpose. And so, Father, I thank you for those that are gathered here this morning. God, to hear your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, for our hearts to be of good soil. I pray, God, that we would be attentive to hear. God, that your word, Father, would transform us by the renewing of our minds. God, that we would take the truth in which we hear today, and God, that we would use it to demolish the strongholds that have captivated us, that have led us into captivity. But, Father, as we destroy those strongholds, God, with the truth of your word, we find freedom. Your word says that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. And so God, today, Lord, I pray that your word will go forth, that the captive hearts and minds would find freedom, and that salvation will come even to those today that may be a bondless God who have never received you as their Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that we would not just come to church, but that, God, that we would be the church, that we would be your representatives on this earth. God, as your word has declared that we are ambassadors of your kingdom, others should see a change in us. We are to reflect you, Lord. So I pray, God, that we would remain humble. I pray, God, that we would continue to be poor in spirit. That we would be the peacemakers. And that we would be the salt and the light of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Go to Genesis chapter 8. That's where we're going to head this morning. <clears throat> And as you're turning there, I want you to reflect upon this truth as we're going through Scripture today. That God Himself delights to draw us to Himself. That God begins this work in us. That God Himself, again, delights in drawing us to Himself. Remember God's will is that none shall perish. That none shall perish. You see, when we read through these scriptures today, I want you to keep in mind that thought. So many times, mankind has the wrong image of God. 
we may take his wrath and, and we allow his wrath to keep us from him and then almost like we have the right to judge him for being who he is. We don't want to change God to make him a, a God of our pleasure. No, we need to see God for the fullness of who he is. He is a God of wrath, but he's also a God of love. And we've talked about this over and over here, that he has to be both because that's who he is. We just don't want to make him a God of wrath, because what hope will there be? And we just don't want to make him a God of love, because even in that, what hope would there be? We need to see him for who he is. He's God. And from the beginning, as we have opened up a few weeks ago, we have read that he has set forth a plan of redemption, a plan of, 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 of rescuing mankind back to himself. We talked last week about our famous verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we talked about how that verse is used a lot to really magnify God's love. But I think we've missed the true understanding of that verse. It's in His love that He gave His Son, Jesus, Jesus took upon our punishment. Jesus endured literally hell. <laughs> the way his body was ripped apart, the way that he was beaten and mocked and spit upon, the way that he was nailed to that cross with the spear shoved in his side. And he did it all for you. So that you can be reconciled back to God. So that you would not perish. An eternal you know, hell separated from God. He made a way for you to be reconciled back to God. If you would just believe in Him. And in your belief, that belief should transform your life. Because when you really see Jesus for who he is, you're, you can't help but be transformed. When you really grasp the understanding that he is God, that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords, there's no one else like him. No matter what mankind may try to say, God has already established himself. He's God. And he sent forth his son, Jesus, in order to reconcile mankind back to himself. That he would have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. So my question for us today is if we have an understanding that God delights in drawing us to himself, he is God, he is Lord, he laid down his life for us. How are we responding to that truth daily in our life?
because we ought to be. We ought to keep him at the forefront of every thought, of every action, of every purpose, of every word that comes from our mouth. Are we pleasing God? For he delights to reveal himself to us. Are we seeking him? Knowing that in the fullness of seeking him with our whole heart, we shall find him. Have we watered him down just to be a weak God, or do we really get the fullness of who he is? He's a great God. And his ways have been established. His purpose is already put in place. He's, he's faithful. His love endures forever. Does your God reflect such a, does your life reflect such a great God? Listen, when we come to Christ, we bow our knee. We are in full submission to his authority. We seek not to live our lives any longer. We must understand that eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. People are dying today. And in so dying, going to hell. Because they're separated from God. There's people sitting in churches today who will die today and go to hell because they've never known God. They held a form of religion. But they denied His power. We're talking about eternity. We're not talking about the temporalness of life. You don't come to church to get your temporalness of life fixed. Come to church to be built up to live a life. To magnify your God before a dying world. No matter what our age is, there's work to be done for the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God. For that is what, it's, that is what you are purposed for. And just as he finds delight and he takes delight in drawing people to himself, we ought to find delight and a purpose of drawing others to Christ. Because the Bible says we're to reconcile people back to God through Jesus. Preach the gospel. Share what Jesus has done in your life. Let others know of the goodness of Christ and what he came to do to save us from. when we recognize and we understand the truth that Jesus is returning to gather his own. He's not coming back for everyone. Because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of people who are rejecting him. There's a lot of people who will still in rebellion towards him. But Jesus is returning. Rather, we want to believe it or not, he is on his way. In fact, if you look at everything that is laid out, to inform us of the days of his return, we can see that we're drawing closer. No one knows the hour or the time, but we do understand that we can discern the times. And in discerning the times, we better wake up because there's work to be done. we got to get beyond our selfish pleasures, our self-driven life that's just leading to destruction. There's nothing good that comes from self. There's nothing good that comes from the flesh. 
all these desires and all this grief and all this hurt and all this pain and everything that we hold on to, nothing good is going to come from it, so you might as well lay it down at the feet of Jesus and receive that which is good and perfect himself. And let him teach you truly how to live a life in freedom. No matter what your past has been, no matter what you're going to face tomorrow, you can hope in Christ. And that hope in him will never disappoint you. There is an eternal understanding when you come to Christ and you give yourself to him. Remember, your goal is not to be perfect, but your goal is to mature. You're not to continue a Christian life that bears no fruit. If you're living a Christian life that's not bearing any fruit, then I'm concerned for you. And you ought to be concerned for yourself. When you stand before Jesus, you will either hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in and rest. Did you hear those words? The Bible says he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to his eternal kingdom and rest. Or you will hear, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of sin. You worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Wow. We left off last week with God sending forth a flood of destruction, killing everyone except Noah and his family. He sent forth such destruction upon this earth because he was angry. He saw how wicked the earth had become in the hearts of man and how violence was filling the earth. Remember, the hope that we had was that word, but. But Noah. But Noah was a righteous man. And in that, God saved Noah and his family. In fact, we talked last week that the ark repre represented a foreshadowing of the cross. Because everyone who was in the ark was saved. And everyone on the outside died. And so it is. Everyone that is in Christ will be saved. And everyone on the outside will die. An eternal hell they face. Separated from God. Oh, but such great love. I love the picture that we read last week that God closed the door to the ark. God closed the door. 
he had enough. It was time for his wrath to come. And so it will be on the days, the day that Jesus returned, there will come a time when God would say, it is enough. And his wrath will hit this earth. And people will perish for eternity. Those who do not belong to Jesus. It is my hope today that you would leave here encouraged. Listen, we can all play the weird games that we play in our heads. We all can make up and, and whatever we want to believe about God and we live however we want, choosing to do whatever we want. But listen, reality is His truth is already laid forth. It's laid out. It's plain. It's not hidden from us. You're either a good and faithful servant or you're one who is working in iniquity, bound by sin and rebellion. Your rebellion and your sin should not be the fruit of your life as a Christian. It doesn't mean that you will not sin, but it shouldn't be what is marking your life. No, your life is to producing fruit. hope do we have to offer to a dying world? Listen, I challenge you all, if you haven't looked around lately, look around. Chaos is brewing. And we've talked about it for many years here. It's getting darker out there. The earth is growing even more violent. The hearts of mankind are turning more wicked and perverse. Self-centeredness. The love of many is growing colder and colder and colder. But the church, as I prayed earlier, that's just not go to church. Let's be the church. If you're truly in Christ, if you are a child of God, then understand this. You have a purpose in this generation. To be an effective harvester, get out there and live before others. Share the good news. Let your light shine. I think of Norma as she's preparing to go to a very hard area of the world. And I want you all to pray for her. Where she's going is a very remote village. And she's putting her life in risk, if you would, by the Muslim natives. This isn't just a, uh, you know, kumbaya, feel-good mission trip. No, this is hard work. This is going to be a labor that is going to be intense. Her and her group are going in with a hope of a harvest of lives that would come to Jesus. And when I think of years ago when she called me, 
And she asked a simple question. Are you truly free? Is there truly freedom? And I didn't have to think for a second. Yes, there is freedom, Mona. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Do you all believe that today? Do you all truly believe that today? That there is freedom in Jesus freedom, you all. Not to continue to live a life that is just based on you, yourself, your past, your pain, your desires, your sin, your flesh. But true freedom that can only be found in Christ. True freedom that offers a hope to one who is enslaved to themselves and to their destruction. I pray to God for each of us that we would be those that will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That we would not be carried away by how this generation wants to define Christianity. How they want to strip Jesus of his lordship. How they just want to let everything in. There is a standard in which we're called to live. And man hasn't placed it. God himself has placed it. I challenge you, you draw close to him. As I said in the opening, as we're sharing these scriptures today, I want you to think about this, that God himself delights in drawing us to himself. Genesis chapter 8. We pick up in scripture here where the flood is receding now. It says, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to recede. The underwater, the underground water stopped flowing and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth. After 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to a rest on the mountains of Ararat. Two and a half months later, as the waters continued to go down over the mountain peaks, I'm sorry, go down, other mountain peaks became visible. And before I go any further, I want us not to forget what was just read in verse 1. But God remembered Noah. I don't know about you, but that line right there breaks me such hope. 
I can't even imagine what it was like to be on the ark. Enduring what they had to endure. But I do know this. Each of us have endured seasons of our life. That has been chaotic. Or maybe you're even enduring it now. But there's a time and a season for everything. And we can have hope if we are believers in Christ that God will remember us. He is not forgetful. He is not neglectful. He will allow us to endure what we must endure to get us to where we're going. But God remembered Noah. It says here, after 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat and released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the floodwaters on the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded and it could find dry ground. But the dove could not find a place, I'm sorry, but the dove could find no place to land because the water still covered the ground. So it returned to the boat and Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with the fresh olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew the floodwaters were almost gone. He waited another seven days, and then he released the dove again. This time it did not come back. Now Noah was, I'm sorry, Noah was now 601 years old. <laughs> On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, the floodwaters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, and at the last, I'm sorry, and at last the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, release all the animals, the birds and the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice, and he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be a planting and a harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. 
If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. And with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the flood waters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on the earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on the earth. The sons of Noah who came out of the boat with their father were Shem, Ham, and Jabeth. Ham is the father of Canaan. From these three sons of Noah came all the people who now populate the earth. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made, and he became drunk and laid naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Jabeth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. When Noah woke up from this stupor, he learned what Ham, the youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. Then Noah said, May the Lord, the God of Shem, be blessed, and may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Jabeth. May Jabeth share the prosperity of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. Noah lived another 350 years after the great flood. He lived 950 years and then he died. Chapter 10. This is the account of the families of Shem, Ham, and Jabeth. The three sons of Noah. Many children were born to them after the great flood. I'm going to butcher some of these names, but let's work through them. <laughs> the descendants of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Medea, Medea, or Medea, not Medea, <laughs> Javan, Tubal, Mesheth, and Tyrus. The descendants of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Ripith, and Togamah. The descendants of Jabin were Elisha, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Rodeman. Their descendants became the seafaring peoples that spread out the various lands, each identified as its own language, clan, and national identity. And as I'm butchering these names, don't stay focused on the names. I like us to focus on who these people became. 
Because again, these were the ones who began to populate the earth. Descendants of Ham. The descendants of Ham were Cush, Miz Mizram, Put, and Canaan. The descendants of Cush were Seba, Haliah, Sabbath, Ramah, and Sabbatica. The descendants of Rama were Sheba and Danan. Cush was the ancestor of Nimrod, who was the first heroic warrior on the earth. Since he was the greatest hunter in the world, his name became proverbial. People would say, this man is like Nimrod, the greatest hunter in the world. He built his kingdom in the land of Babylonia. When the cities, with the cities of Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalana. From there, he expanded his territory to Assyria, building the cities of Nineveh, Rehobothar, Kala, and Resen, the great city located between Nineveh and Kala. Mizram from, was the ancestor of the Ludites, An Anamites, Lahabites, Nefuris, Pathrosites, Kashlites, and the Kathorites, from whom the Philistines came. Canaan's oldest son was Sidon, and the ancestor of the Sidians. Canaan was also the ancestor of the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hittites, the Arkites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zimmerites, and the Hathites. The Canaanite clans eventually spread out, and the territory of Canaan extended from Sidon Sidon to the north of Gur and Gaza and the south and east as far as Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zebun near Lasha. These were the descendants of Ham, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. So finally, the sons who were also born to Shem, the older brother of Jabeth, Shem was the ancestor of all the descendants of Eber. And the, the descendants of Shem were Elon, Asher, Arphaxed, Lud, and Aram. The descendants of Aram was, were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arphaxed was the father of Shelah. Shelah was the father of Eber. Eber had two sons. The first was named Pegleg, which means division. For during his lifetime, the people of the world were divided into different language groups. His brother's name was Jotham. Jokpin was the ancestor of Alomadad, Shephelah, Hezmarath, Jerah, all those names there. All these were descendants of Jokpin. The territory they occupied extended from Misha all the way to Saphrod, the eastern mountains. These were the descendants of Shem, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. And then finally, these are the clans that descended from Noah's son arranged by nation according to their lines of descent. All the nations of the earth descended from these clans after the great flood. God repopulates the earth. Remember his plan, as I've been encouraging you all. He plans to have a people who he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. His plan, his purpose. 
It is laid even before the earth was formed. His plan of redemption. Let's look at some of the points that we can take away from the readings in which we read this morning so far. We already talked about God remembered. Just making sure I'm not missing anything with you all. Oh, when we read that God spoke to Noah and called him out of the ark, and we got this understanding of, again of obedience. Noah didn't stay in the ark murmuring and complaining. He didn't judge God for doing what God did. He didn't question God. He obeyed. How about you? Are you walking in obedience? Or are you stuck in the rut arguing with God? Murmuring and complaining. Questioning God. Careful. of getting stuck in that rut. The Bible is very clear. Noah came out. His family with him. And did you catch the first thing that they did? They worshipped. Noah. And the Bible says that the Lord God was pleased with what was being offered. And how about us, you all? God moves in our life. God makes a way. And in doing so, do we really take the time to worship Him? We just take what he gives and keep going our way. The Bible is very clear that God was pleased with what Noah presented to him. Your life in Christ should be a life of continual worship before the Lord. You should be that living sacrifice. The aroma of your life should be pleasing unto God. You should be growing and maturing in worship. You should be growing and maturing in the disciplines of the Christian life as we talked about on Friday night. Giving, praying, fasting. Not because you have to, no, because you desire to. Your life is to be lived in a way that's honoring God. And I love this picture that Noah obeyed and in his obedience he worshipped. Do you know what hinders worship? Disobedience. Noah would have never worshipped if he would have stayed in the ark complaining. <clears throat> Noah would have never came forth nor his family and accomplished what they were purposed to do. To repopulate the earth. How about your Christian life, you all? I find it interesting as we're kind of comparing uh, the ark with the cross. That after the cross, uh, the church is birthed. After the cross and the resurrection, the church is birthed. And the church has been commissioned to go. To make disciples. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of His commands. To go forth and reproduce. Just as it was then, so it is now. Your life should be going forth and you should be reproducing. Others should be coming to Christ because of your life. You are the vessel that He has chosen. You have been given everything you need to, to live a godly life in this wicked and perverse generation. You too could be one that could be accounted for as one who walks with God. As one who is in right standing with God. And not because of anything that you have done, but all because of what Jesus has accomplished. So how thankful are you? And I've challenged us time and time again, if you really want to know where you're at with God and how close you are with Him, then listen to the words that come out of your mouth. Listen to the thoughts that are running in your head. And don't stay in condemnation and shame and guilt. No, just get to a place of repentance. Get to a place where you just get over yourself and just come to God with a sincere heart and ask, what is needed to tame your tongue and ask that he would transform your life by renewing your mind ask seek and knock seek him with your whole heart and you shall find him because remember he delights in drawing us to himself so your worship should be maturing in it and we also see in this portion of Scripture that he's now given mankind the right to eat meat. But there was one stipulation. It cannot have the life blood in it. We also see here that God laid out accountability. He would demand from each man an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Because God declared, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image, for in the image of God had God made man. This understanding of accountability. And oh, oh how that is needed in the church today. That we hold each other accountable. That we just don't let sin in and for sin to abide. That we just don't excuse the things that are going on in our lives. We're not to judge the world, but we are to judge each other. And in that judging, it is accountability and hopes that your brother or sister will not continue to go the way of the wicked one. In Scripture we find, even when Paul says, to put out the man who was abiding and living in a sinful lifestyle. Put him out of the fellowship in hopes, in hopes that his soul will be saved. In fact, Paul said it even a little bit harsher. 
He says, turn him over to the devil. So we just can't let things just run amok. There has to be a sense of accountability. We have to understand that which we have been given, and we just can't take it lightheartedly. We have been given access to the kingdom of God. We're now to be the peacemakers, the salt and the light of the earth. There is a purpose in which you are to be living for. That is Christ and Christ alone. Advancing his kingdom. As the world is growing darker, we're to be growing brighter. But if you're not fanning that flame, then what difference are you in this world? Accountability. Holding each other accountable. Accountability was laid out. And we should see our fellow man as God has created them in the image of God. Remember, our, our war is not with flesh and blood. You're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. The world is not our enemy. We should be displaying compassion. We are to be as Jesus. Go love them and serve them. They're not our enemy. We have deceived mankind, for our mankind was created in the image of God. And in that, we should respect each other. The Bible says, how are they going to know that we belong to him? By our love for one another. For one another. Not for our good works out in the world that looks like we're loving the world. No, by our love for one another in this fellowship, in congregations, in the church. That sincere love for one another. Because then those on the outside will look in at, at a community of people and go, there's something different about them. And then what is it? And in understanding the difference is Jesus. Because that's all that we have in common. If it wasn't for Jesus, the majority of us wouldn't even, in this room, even be together. Our lives, our, our, our past, our desires wouldn't have brought us together. Only Jesus can take broken, wounded, sinful people redeem them and bring them together and in that build a community that's based around him and in him and the church gets such a bad name everyone has a bad image of the church but we must correct that it's not the church that has the bad image it's the religious people in the church because the church is the bride of Christ and we better be careful for how we talk about the bride we already understand it's very clear that there will be wheat and tares sitting in the church. We already understand that the, that the church is going to be infiltrated by those who would like to rip her apart. But we must remember God's promise is that the gates of hell shall not prevail. Amen. The bride of Christ will not be tainted by this world. Church. The church. Uh, the body of Christ, reflecting his love, reflecting him to the lost and to the dying. And in that view of 
them looking onto us, they should see this love. And it should be drawing them in. <clears throat> the rainbow. <laughs> the sign of God's covenant. And yet it's been hijacked by the homosexual community. And again, the homosexual community is not our enemies. They were made in the image of God, and we are to love them and serve them in hopes that they would come to Christ. But they have hijacked a symbol that God himself has placed as a reminder of his covenant. So I would encourage you, in this generation where we're seeing the rainbow and the multicolors displayed every which way, pray for that community. Pray that God will open their eyes that they would begin to see Him for who He is. That that image of the rainbow would be an image that would draw them to God, not to draw them to celebrate their lifestyle. But that even every time those colors are displayed, that the Holy Spirit will move in such a way among them and draw them to Himself because He delights and drawing us to himself. It's been hijacked. And then I would encourage us, when we see the rainbow in the sky, don't take for granted for what it, what it stands for. Let that remind you of how great our God is. That is something that he has established throughout all generations. And then we see Noah cursing his grandson Canaan, the son of Ham, because Ham looked upon Noah's nakedness. What can we learn from that? What is my hopes that we take away from that? Is that we wouldn't be like Ham. Ham went in, saw his father naked, and what did he do? He went right back out and told his brothers. Ham should have just kept his mouth shut and covered Noah. He should have respected Noah's life and reputation. And instead, he had to tell his brothers. May we be like his brothers who knew what to do right away. They took what was needed to cover him and they backed up into it and did it. So many times, we're so quick to gossip we're so quick to tear down other people. We're so quick to ruin other people's reputation because we just have to tell. Let that not be said about us. Let us be marked with obedience as what we should do. Let us be like the other brothers who desire to protect others' reputations. Listen, I understand it's not easy. You're sitting around, people are carrying on about what other people are doing or what they did or this and this and that. And you're not going to be popular if you stand up and say, excuse me, I'm not going to partake of this. And I've been talking to AJ and when I was talking to Melissa yesterday, isn't it crazy that to do what is right is hard to do? Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought about that? To do what is right is hard to do. But to do what is wrong 
you give no thought to it. You just do it. To do what is right, you have to question what others are going to think, what, what, what are they going to think about me, this and that, or, you know, whatever. I really like to do this. I, I could just do it once. But really, what's it going to hurt if I just tell Michelle all about Norma? What is it going to hurt just to, whatever, you pick it, whatever the thing may be? How crazy is it that to do what is right is hard, but to do what is wrong is easy? Sometimes you got to just stand up. Sometimes you just got to allow your character to be built. You got to grow in character. You don't have to remain who you were when you worked in Christ. No, you have to grow. Your character is developing to become more like Christ. And so we shouldn't be like Ham who just had to run out and say, listen, our father is drunk and he's naked. <laughs> Shut up, Ham. No one needs to hear that. No one needs to know that. Just cover him up. Let him sleep it off. Y'all get it? I'm challenged by that. How quick we just go towards evil to do what's wrong. Instead of taking a moment to go, wait a minute, by doing this, what am I choosing? Remember AJ? I challenged AJ. You even challenged Lucas yesterday. I challenge you all. Put your hands in front of you. Go ahead. Look at your hands. Look at your hands. Everyone put them in front of you. Got them in front of you, Lena? With these hands, you will either... Tear down or you will build up. What you think will cause your hands to go towards. And so you're going to face choices all throughout this day and the weeks and the life to come. And you can put your hands down, but I want to challenge you. Either you're going to be a builder or you're going to be a destroyer. And maybe it may not be physically done by your hands. It could be just done by your mouth. But either way, you're either destroying or you're building. And so that's what's going to basically identify your life. How do others see you? One who's building up and one who's tearing down. Choice. Ham had a choice. And there are consequences to his choice. His son was cursed. But the brothers were blessed. And it reminds me of the lesson we already learned in Genesis. If you do what is right, will you not be rewarded? But if you do what is wrong, know this. Sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is to master you. But you must master it. Oh, let us be people who do what is good. It has amazed me that in our Christian circles, we make a way out of doing good. That just can't be done. We're just all sinners and just bound by the flesh. We're just of the flesh. Who? That was your old nature. Where is the hope that says, yes, I may have stumbled, yes, I may have fallen into the flesh, but I'm not going to abide there because in Christ I have the freedom 
to throw off the sin that so easily entangles me and to live a life that is right with God. But the Bible says that if I walk habitually in the Spirit, I won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So how much you give into walking in obedience is how much that you will not give in to the desires that come that are from within to drag you into a sinful behavior. There is victory in Christ or there isn't. But I choose to believe what the Word of God says, that there is victory. So I just want to encourage us, do what is right Go from this place today and challenge yourself to do what is right, no matter how what everyone else is doing. And no matter how others will respond to you, do what is right. Because you are to be living a life that is honoring the God in whom you say you belong to. Do what is right. And then we saw in the closing of that chapter 10, the earth being populated. Matthew 4, let's go there. And we're going to pick up at verse 12. Matthew 4, verse 12. We left off last week with basically John the Baptist confronting the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were the religious people of the time. These were the ones that you would think were of God. They did all the ceremonial things. They did everything that looked on the outside like they were close to God. I was challenged by how John the Baptist dealt with them. He didn't call them a bunch of holy men. You men of God. No, he called them snakes. A brood of snakes. And then he even went further and said, Who warned you of the coming wrath? Who warned you of the coming wrath? He was challenging them. And exposing them for who they were. Remember he even said to them. Prove basically by the way you live. That you belong to God. A life of repentance. And so it should be for us today. To hear those words. God help us not to be religious people. Just going about the ceremonial. The ceremonies, showing up for church, just doing, and it never impacting your life. I'm always blown away by the Pharisees and Sadducees. They should have been the ones who knew Jesus. And yet, they crucified him. Because they were more concerned about their religious works than they were in their relationship.
verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zubalim and Nathali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet of Isaiah, in the land of Zubalim and Nathali, beside the sea beyond the Jordan River, in the Galilee where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness, look at this, have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, live however you want. Do what you want. I love you. It's okay. Go about your day blaspheming my name, tearing down others, being bound by lust and lies and deception. Just do what you want. I have warned you all time and time again, when you're hearing a message that gives you the right to self and it's labeled as the gospel, you better run from it. Even if you yourself are giving it to you. Even if you yourself say, it's okay for me to stay where I'm at. God loves me. God's okay with what I'm doing. Careful. Careful. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And are you really willing to stand before Jesus? In the condition of complete rebellion towards him? Careful. That's not what we were about to hear. Listen to what Jesus began to preach. And understand this. Just because the culture in a generation wants to adapt the message, to, to strip it down, and they say, well, well, God changes his mind, and we have to adapt culturally. God has to go along with us. Oh, no. As it has been and as it shall be, his message is of repentance. He says, Jesus' words, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets and followed him. Left their nets at once and followed him. Wow. They were just doing what they knew to do. They were going about their day, working, fishing. And Jesus steps in. Come, follow me. And I heard this teaching a while ago that in the Jewish custom, that when a rabbi would call his students, it was such a great honor and privilege 
to be called by a rabbi. To learn at the rabbi's feet. In fact, with the students and the rabbi would walk, the students would be close to the rabbi to make sure they heard everything that the rabbi said. And I just thought about this this morning. These men, at that time, knew nothing of who Jesus was. Jesus hadn't started doing what we were going to read that he did in his ministry. No, he just spoke. And they left everything. You see, God delights in drawing us to himself. They didn't question. Who is this man? What does he want? No, they responded. There was something that quickened them. And that something's actually someone. They were drawn to God. You see, the Bible says that we don't begin this. He begins it in us. We don't just start off, okay, I'm going to follow God. No, he calls us. Have you heard the call? And have you responded? You didn't see them say, well, let's just keep one net with us just in case. Just in case things go wrong and we end up not following him. Let's just hold on to something of our past. No, they left everything. See, what from your past are you still clinging to in hopes that God will be okay with it? What decisions that you know you should be making in your life to honor God that you're not making? Because whatever it is in between you and God, you feel is better than God. I find more comfort in it. I find my provision in it. No, I don't want to do what is right because I'd rather hold on to this because right now it feels good. And yet God is saying, no, follow me. No, follow me. Follow me. But what are you stopping and thinking about? Here's a question. Ask yourself today, are you fit for his kingdom? The Bible says if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for his kingdom. And in and of yourself, you would never be fit for the kingdom. What's your identity as a believer? Anyone? You're in Christ. You're to clothe yourself with Christ. You are in Christ. You ought to be living with this understanding. That's why we can't just keep making the Christian life this flippant, like it's, oh, it's nothing. No, it's something. These men left their lives. You, I, should be living our lives. Letting go of the past, letting go of everything, and trusting in Him and in Him alone. They left. 
A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. You're going to have to leave some relationships behind. You're going to have to leave things and people behind to get to where God is taking you. And listen, I'm not saying it because it sounds like the great thing to say. No, I myself had to be challenged in life. I either had to take him for his word or not. Leaving things and leaving people isn't the easiest. But if Jesus is going to be your Lord and your Savior... You may have to. You may have to. And let me tell you, that day I was in my condo, on my knees, leaving everything and everyone behind, that struggle was real. In that moment, in that hour, it was real. But when I made that decision, get up and to follow him I have never felt such peace such peace I didn't know where I was going what I was going to do what the next step looked like but I knew this he was for me not against me I knew that he would provide I knew that no matter what would take place in my life that he was my king And so I just want to challenge you today. What is it in your life? Is it someone? Is it something? Is it your own self up here in your head? That you need to put aside and step out in faith and trust in God. I know we'd rather have the message to believe, oh, it's okay. Jesus understands just give it some time, and maybe in a year or two, God will get you to where you need to go. Listen, I've never seen a 12-step plan in the Bible. I'm not against them, but reality is, you no. Know, sometimes you just got to cut it where it needs to be cut and get rid of it. Sometimes you just got to get up because you're your own worst enemy. And all those little people who are codependent around your life are your enemies because they just want you to remain enslaved to where you've been because they're enslaved. And it makes him feel comfortable with you being enslaved. Sometimes you just got to get up. Sometimes you just got to run and immediately follow him. Either he's God or he's not. But I choose to believe that he's the God that delights in drawing men and women to himself. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news and about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea. And from the east of the Jordan River, people came. 
And Jesus was being about the Father's business. He knew his purpose. He was beginning to draw these students, these disciples, to himself. Because he knew that soon he would be crucified. That he would die, that he would be resurrected, that he would ascend into heaven. And that these men would be left to go throughout the earth and preach the good news. And we who believe in Jesus have received this good news. And now we are now called to go out and to preach the good news. I love the fact that we see in this portion of scripture that Jesus is is healing people. That we have a God who heals. He is the great physician. And I choose to believe, and I choose to encourage you this day, do not lose sight of it. Pray for healing for others and for yourself. Don't let doubt come in. Don't let the the fear of love, it didn't work last time. He's God. And I think too many times what hinders our lives is we question Him too much. Just let Him be God, you all. I have seen prayer bring forth such incredible healing, not just physically, but mentally and spiritually in people's lives. I have seen where times of prayer and and, and in seeking God for someone's healing or someone's deliverance, as if the prayers are just bouncing off walls. And the person remains enslaved or the person died. But either way, he's God. And I had to learn years ago to stop questioning him. Why didn't you do it the way I wanted it, God? So many times when we stay stuck in questioning Him, or judging Him, or pointing our fingers at Him and lifting our fists up against Him, God help us. Because when we do that, we're hardening our hearts. Choosing not to believe. Listen, he's God. And though we may not understand his ways, we can trust him. Paul even encourages the church, who are you, mere mortal man, to question God? God's going to do what God has purposed. And we either need to line up with that we're going to remain hardened, broken, not in the right way of brokenness, but in the wrong way. And we'll begin to seek and create other gods to satisfy our longings. Let him be God, you all. His ways are not our ways, but we can rest assured that his ways are perfect. We can rest assured that we can find comfort even in our mourning, 
that we can find comfort even in our sickness. That we can find comfort and peace even in a, the, the chaos, chaos of, of situations. That we can find comfort and strength even as we're standing and interceding for others. Listen, we're too quick to give up on people. We're too quick to give up. I praise God for those who prayed for me for years before I came to Christ and those who continue to pray for me now even after I come to Christ. Pray for others and don't give up. Remember, God delights to draw us to himself. Pray for them. Don't curse them. Don't speak junk out of your mouth coming into an agreement with what the enemy is doing in their life. No, speak blessings over them. Serve them, love them, but you don't know what they do to me. No, it's not them doing it to you, it's you doing it to yourself. Because it doesn't matter how they respond to you, you hold your identity in Christ. You're choosing to allow them to destroy you. Because you're becoming just like them. And that's not who you are if you're a child of God. If you're calling yourself a Christian, that is not who you are. You are a child of God. Act like one. And before you get so loose with your tongue, delight in praying for them that they will be drawn to God. Sometimes it gets darker before the day of deliverance. Sometimes things just get even worse and chaotic. We're called not to grow weary in doing good. Doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. I know it's easy to give up. You all who know, I'm one of the greatest challenges I've been transparent before you <coughs> is discouragement. I could be some could become so discouraged that I'm ready to give up. There's so many seasons in my life. I've I, I just like God. I'm done. I don't want to do this. Great is our God. He reminds me of how great He is. And I go, oh God, forgive me. Who am I to say I'm done? How foolish is that? Don't grow weary in doing good. For in due time, the harvest will come. Listen, these men got up and follow Jesus. May that be said about our lives. Let's go to Psalm chapter 4. Psalm 4. <clears throat> Listen, I'm really hoping you all are going back to these scriptures, that you're taking time this week and that you'll just sit and be still. Read through these scriptures. Be encouraged. And then start reading ahead. You know where we're at. Alright, we're in Genesis, then we're going to Matthew, and then we're in Psalms, and then we go to Proverbs. 
you know? Start encouraging yourself in your faith. Just as we did last week in, in, in Psalm 3, there was bullet points that you were able to take away, and I put them in the notes, that you can pull out and reflect on that and make it a, a prayer. And so as with Psalm 3, you do this with Psalm 4, and listen to this, and then we're going to look at some bullet points. Answer me when I call to you, O God, who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting your anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, Lord. You have given me great joy. Then those who have abundant harvest of grain and new wine. And look at verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Let's look at some of these points here from the scripture. We can have the hope that when we call upon him, he will answer. He will give us relief from our distress. He is merciful and he hears our prayers. He has set apart the godly for himself. We are reminded not to sin when we are angry and that when we are in our beds to search our hearts and to be still. We're reminded to offer him right sacrifice and to trust him for he has filled our hearts with great joy. When we lie down, we will sleep in peace for he alone makes us dwell in safety. Do we believe this? Do we truly believe? to himself that we can have what is needed that he is merciful that he hears our prayers look at this and what it says that he fills our hearts with joy then we lie down and sleep we lie in peace for he alone makes us dwell in safety the word of God you all it's alive and active. If you're not maturing and growing in your Christian life, you're not in the Word, you're not abiding in Christ. Opening up your Bible shouldn't be a, oh. No, open up your Bible should be a desire because I want to learn who I am now. I want to learn how I'm to live now as this new creation in Christ for I have been born again. These are his promises that are kept for us and throughout generations for those who would come to him. We have every type of translation in our nation. 
And I'm always challenged when I see these other nations and how they respond when they get the word. They don't have the word so accessible to them. And when Bibles are printed in their language, they are just overjoyed for receiving the word of God. How are you? When you turn on your Bible app or you open up a Bible that you either purchased or was given to you, how are you responding? Do you find great delight and joy in having the living Word of God in your hands? Having access to it day and night? It just can't be just another book. It is what it is. It's the living Word. I just encourage you all, find strength, find comfort in Him. Open His Word. Because that's how He transforms us, because He renews our mind. The more that you take in, the more that you will get out. You open up His Word, allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, to bring conviction through His Word through fellowship with other believers in the Word. That's why we can't dumb down the Word. We can't strip the Word. We just can't pick and choose what we want. No, we need the fullness of it because we want the fullness of God. Let's close in Proverbs chapter 1. Remember, to be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer. Proverbs 1, verse 20 through 23. We were reminded last week not to go the way of the sinners. And I want to ask us today, this past week, did you go their way? You shouldn't have. You're not to act like someone who doesn't know Jesus. You're not to just go along with what everyone in this world is doing. There's a standard in which you are called to live by. You have been given the Holy Spirit. You're not to be living a life that's grieving Him and feeling comfortable that you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't go their way. No, listen to wisdom. Go the way of the righteous. Remember Noah? He was righteous among a generation where every man and woman on the face of this earth was wicked. They went their way. But Noah. And as it's been throughout the word of God that we see these men and women in their generation living for God. Let it be marked of us in our generation, that we live for God. We followed Jesus. Wisdom, you all. Ask for it daily. 
We have not because we've asked not. If you see yourself lacking in your maturing, in, in your Christian life, then just ask. Because that area of your life is, is not something that you just thought of. No, it's something that the Holy Spirit's revealing to you that He desires to grow you in. So ask for growth. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in the front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come, and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. How long will we continue to go our way? How long will we continue just to be caught up in foolishness and folly? How long? Wisdom is crying out. Wisdom. Is crying out. Are we responding? Come and listen. Wisdom, you all. Oh, how we need it. How we need it. We are to become wise with the instruction. How are we to live our lives now? Your life is not to be defined by the old nature. Remember, the Word of God says that we are to consider ourselves dead. That we have nailed that old man, that old woman, the old desires to his cross. And now we're living afresh and anew. In a newness of life. Day by day by day. And others need to see and experience your freedom. Because if they're not seeing freedom, then what hope do they have? What hope do you have? For he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Because God delights and drawing you to himself. This morning, God delights in drawing you to himself. And you're responding one way or another. You know where you're at with God. You're either a follower of Christ, or you're not. Only you know that. Just because you came to church today doesn't mean you're following them. Just because you're sitting here and you have a Bible and you pray and you do this and that doesn't mean anything. If it's not truly a life that you're living. Have you received Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sins. 
these, these are the questions that you yourself must answer. Again, it's not about being perfect. It's not about I clean myself up and then, you know, then God will be pleased at me. No, no, no. God is pleased with his son Jesus. And it's Jesus that you need in order to come to God. But in coming to God and accepting Jesus, there is a way now which you ought to live. Because you've considered the cost. I think about our brothers and sisters overseas who, when they come to Christ, they've considered the cost. They know by accepting Christ that basically at that time, their lives, as they physically know it, could be taken from them. Because in their countries, to come to Christ, to convert to Christianity, it is your death sentence. But here in America, we're not at that level yet. But my question is, is when you get up from this place today, what will you be putting your hands towards? What would be, what is your heart and your mind set on? Because eternity is at stake. There may be some in this room today that will not make it to the evening. They will drop dead. And it is my hope and it is my desire that you all would not take it so lightly that you would see him for who he is, for he is God. And that you would live a life that is honoring him. That you would grasp the fullness of who he is and say, Lord, here I am. With all my faults, with everything about me, because God, you know me, and yet, through Jesus, you accept me. So Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Like you give yourself to him. And then you live it out with him empowering you. That daily obedience unto him. Oh, that God would open up our eyes of our hearts to see him for truly who he is. So I'm going to close with this last psalm. But it is my prayer that as these words are, are being sung over you, that you would just take this moment to really just reflect on where you're at with God. Take this time if need be. If you're a follower of Christ and you've got sin in your life, then don't be discouraged by it. Do what the Bible says. Throw it off. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Repent. Get up from where you're at. Some of you may need to make choices and decisions today. Some of you may need to break off relationships. Some of you mean to just get the sin out of your life. Well, then do it. What are you waiting for? And there's some of you sitting here who've never accepted Jesus. What are you waiting for? Why would you risk eternity of hell separated from God when God himself is revealing to you such great love, drawing you to himself? So let these words encourage you. And then I'll close this in prayer.